Amen and amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn with me to John chapter 17. And as you're turning there, first of all, can we thank our worship team this morning? Can we thank our worship team? You clap your hands with me. Thank our worship team. Uh, Judy and choir and orchestra and Brian and Caleb, thank you so much for leading us to the throne of grace. It is no light task to lead God's people in worship. I could hear you sing all day. Uh, What a joy it is to hear you sing about the greatness and the goodness and the glory of the Savior. Secondly, I thought I'd share with you a really uh, cool God story from yesterday. Uh, If you are on Facebook, perhaps you have seen some of the pictures from our Deacon Crawfish Boil. And we just had a great time. Deacons and their wives, our families got together at Tim and Brenda Brown's house and just had a good time of fellowship. And uh, I'm convinced that uh, Jesus is going to be coming back during crawfish season. So, um, but uh, we had a just a great time, uh, just a a kind of a uh, preview of what we're asking the Lord to do on May 4th. Uh, May 4th, we'll have a community-wide crawfish boil here at Bear Cove fun for all the family, and um, we're just really looking forward to that. But we had a really great day of getting to know each other, spending time together. Uh, but at the end, when, when the cleanup came, we had some crawfish left over. Uh, us Louisiana folks tend to order too much, so uh, I, we ordered 40 pounds, and uh, we had some left over. And uh, someone had mentioned, well, let's see if the Cookville Rescue Mission would perhaps uh, need need some food. And so we called, and I called and talked to the lady there, and she said, I said, ma'am, I said, my name is uh, Kerry Hughes. I'm a pastor here in Sparta, and our deacons just got together and had a crawfish boil and had a really good time. We've got a lot left over. Could any of the men, uh, would, they, would they be interested in some dinner? And it's kind of a random phone call, but we've got a lot of crawfish left over. And she said, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you called. The men were just talking about how much they would love some live boiled crawfish. And I said, well, I said, uh, I've got about five pounds or so left over. Frank thought it was more. It could have been more than five pounds. But we had tons of crawfish left over. We took it to the mission last night to end it off. And uh, just a really cool God story of how God used uh, that time and, uh, for Cookville Rescue Mission. And so just a, just a great day. I would encourage you to pray for me and Frank and Justin and Dave and uh, and and, and our, our team, as we're leading you, and also pray for your deacons and their families as we continue to seek to uh, to move forward in what God's plan is for us as a people. So, uh, if you, again, we're going to be in John chapter 17, and we're going to read the last section of John 17, the last section beginning in verse 20. And today, just to give you a heads up, today is going to be a little different. Typically, we're in one passage of Scripture And we go verse by verse through a particular passage. And we've done that for the last few weeks. We've been in a few Psalms. But today's going to be a little different. We're going to look at, we're going to open up a sermon series for you. Uh, This year, we're going to be in a sermon series, and you can see it on the screen, called The Cross and the Church. And I believe that God wants to unify us here at Bear Cove through a gospel-centered foundation as we see the necessity of the cross and its power to save, but also 
its power to unify and continually empower his people. And so for this year, we're going we're gonna to be through this series. And what I want to do this morning is I want to introduce this series to you, what the purpose of this series is, and what we hope to see God do through his word as we will do that. We'll, we'll begin opening it today. Next week, we'll begin in Isaiah 53 as we see uh, Isaiah prophesy what this Savior will look like and what this Savior will do and what he will accomplish and who is this Savior and what does it mean for us. And then we'll go to John 17 as we see Jesus' high priestly prayer that in the hour of his death, as we're going to see here this morning, that in the hour of his death, Jesus is praying for you. But not only is he praying for you and me, he's praying for the unity of his church. And he's praying that the same oneness that he has with the Father is the same oneness that God's people would have. And then finally, after John 17, we'll go to 1 Corinthians. We're going to walk through the book of 1 Corinthians. As we see Paul, Paul is so passionate about the cross being the sole factor that brings unity to God's people. And we'll walk verse by verse through 1 Corinthians. But today, we'll, we'll give an overview. We're going to give an aerial view. How many of you have a drone? Does anybody have a drone in here? You get kind of an aerial view of things. Today, we want to give you an aerial view of this sermon series. We're going to briefly explain Isaiah 53, John 17, and then the book of 1 Corinthians as we walk, as we begin our time in God's Word. So John 17, beginning in verse 20. Hear the words of Jesus this morning. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Will you pray with me? Father, we are so very grateful for your word. And Lord, we recognize this morning that this prayer that you prayed in the hour of your death is a prayer that is still speaking to your people this morning. Lord, we recognize that we often fail at this. We fall short of seeking unity among your people. And Lord, we know that it is only by your love and by your grace as revealed in the cross of your son, that we can truly experience that kind of freedom here at Bear Cove. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us this morning? Would you encourage our hearts? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Did you ever think the day would come that Blockbuster Video would close? 
Now, now, some of you are too young to know what Blockbuster Video is. How many of you remember Blockbuster Video? Ah, most of you, okay. Some of you might be too young to remember what Blockbuster Video is. Blockbuster Video was a place where families went to rent videos, uh, movies, and that sort of thing before the big beast came out. Well, I don't want to use the word beast, but... Netflix came out, right? But Blockbuster Video, never in a million years did I think as someone who grew up on Blockbuster Video would actually close. Well, several years uh, ago uh, when Blockbuster closed, one of the executives was interviewed by a business magazine uh, about the experience of Blockbuster, what happened uh, at Blockbuster, and how did it close? And the question was asked to him, what led to the downfall of Blockbuster Video? And he went into a lot of things. He talked about the history of Blockbuster. He talked about the tension, and he talked about the strife of the things that happened in the company. He talks about how they didn't pay any attention to streaming or to Internet. No one thought that, that the Internet would actually take over uh, renting movies. But he has a response in this article that was written many years ago that, that really blew me away. He said, Everyone had their own opinions as to what needed to, a hap- needed to happen. Everyone in our company thought that their way was the only way. No one could, a- could establish an agreement on what we need to do. And top executives throughout Blockbuster, from the CEO to the vice presidents to the CFO, they could not agree on what they needed to do. And they could not form a, a united front and eventually, they wound up closing. And here at the end of his, this, this interview, he says, Meanwhile, Netflix was, un, was unified in their vision, making things simple and accessible for our customers. Now, notice he said our customers and not their customers because things were simple and things were accessible. They, they had a unified vision in what they were doing. Well, let me ask you something, Barco. What about the church today? What about the universal church today? What, what do we see throughout much of Christendom today? We see division. We see disagreements. We see conflict. We see that people's opinions are the only thing that matters. We see that people like to go online and spread hate about other brothers and sisters in Christ. We see that uh, people think that their way is the only way. And the world mocks this. And the world says, well, if, if they can't be in agreement, then, then why would I want to be part of something like that? But let's bring this a little closer to home, Bear Cove. What about Bear Cove Baptist Church? What about us? What about the people of God at Bear Cove Baptist Church? What will our vision and what will our mission be? Will it be about what we want and what about our desires and what we think is best? Or will it be about what God's word says is best? Will it be about his glory and will it be about his kingdom? What, what, what unifies us? It's not our understanding of baptism. It's not the way that we think things need to be done on Sunday morning. It's not about what we believe about specific programs and what we think needs to happen. What unifies us is what the Bible says unifies us, and that's the cross of Christ. What unifies us is a love for the gospel. 
What unifies us is a love for the kingdom. What unifies us is a love to see that the lost come to know Jesus. And here's what I'm so convinced of, is that oftentimes we major in the secondary and we minor in the primary, and the secondary winds up taking over the primary. We need to be about what God's Word says. And so many of us have different opinions on what thing needs to happen, but God's Word is clear that there is one thing that can unify us, and that is the love of Jesus. It's the love of Jesus. And so why, why a sermon series on the cross and the church? Why a sermon series about this issue? Because I think here at Bear Cove, we need to establish a biblical unity that is rooted in the finished and completed work of Christ. I, I think there's a unity that God wants to bring us here that's not rooted in our opinions, that's not rooted in our love for man, but that's rooted in our love for God's word that's rooted in our love for his glory. And the only way that this can happen is is that we look to the cross and we pray and we seek God's face. And so what I want to do today is I just want to briefly introduce these three parts of Scripture and why they are important for us and what they mean for us. Why Isaiah 53? Because Christ died for the unity of the church. Certainly, in Isaiah 53, we see that Christ died for our sin. He bore the full wrath of God, taking the the wrath off of us that was once upon us. He bore our sin in his body. The penalty for our sin that we should have died for, Christ died for it in our place. Absolutely. But in this moment, I believe that Isaiah 53, as he is seeing what Christ will accomplish at his death, he's given us a preview of Romans 3. You remember Romans 3? You're familiar with the, Romans, the Roman road of salvation? What does Romans 3, 23 say? Is that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Does anybody know verse 24? What's that? We've been justified freely by the grace of God. And, and I think in this moment in Isaiah 53, we're going we're gonna to walk through Isaiah 53 for several weeks. But in this moment, Isaiah sees not one person who has committed sin, but he sees a people who have committed sin against God. This is why he came. The, the primary purpose why Christ came is that we would be forgiven of our sin. Isaiah 53, in the first few verses, in this first section of Isaiah 53, 15 times, 15 times, Isaiah will use the word we, our, us, or men. Beginning in verse 2. Christ, speaking of Jesus, he grew up like him, like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that, that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. 
he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men, plural, hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Who has turned? We, we have turned, every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Don't miss the we and the us and the our of Isaiah 53. This was something that would be done for us. Because Christ was crushed for our sin, we can live in harmony with one another even when we have been wronged against. When I, tell, when I, make the, when I say the phrase often, look to the cross, what does that mean? It means that we're going to live in a community of conflict. It's going to mean that there's going to be stuff that happens in the church. If you're a visitor with us this morning and you're looking for a perfect church, you won't find it here because we got flesh and blood in here. There is no perfect church, but there's a perfect Savior who can radically transform our messed up lives. He can radically transform our broken lives. And when we keep our eyes on ourselves and our division or how we've been wronged against, and when we don't look to Christ and trust his sufficient grace to meet us and to reconcile and to bring harmony, we're going to continue to be divided. The whole church is not here. I'm talking about the church universal. We will, be, we will live in disharmony when we cannot look to see that Christ and what he did for us at the cross is enough to pay for our mess, to pay for our sin. And the only way that we can accomplish this as God's people, as we walk through Isaiah 53, is to recognize the weight of our own sin and what it cost for that weight to be fully and completely lifted at the cross. The, the, the full weight of my sin and your sin was fully paid for at the cross for your salvation, for your redemption, and for your glorification with him. And that moment, Christ's death at the cross was enough to pay for your sin, and it's enough to pay for the continual sin in the church. It's enough to, to pay for our brokenness. It's enough to, to pay for our division. It's enough to, pray, to, to pay for our mess, and to, to, to pay for everything that we're walking through. And the other question we're going to see, too, here in, in Isaiah 53, this, this phrase here, this word that he uses here in Isaiah 53, he uses this word healing. 
healing. By his stripes, we are what? We are healed. Now, to give you a preview of that verse, when we walk when we walk through it, what kind of healing is he speaking about? A lot of interpreters have read that to claim that that's for my physical healing. And if, if his stripes are for my healing, well, then I shouldn't be walking through sickness and disease. Isaiah 53 is not speaking about a physical healing, brothers and sisters. If Jesus came for our physical healing, death would be no longer. Jesus came so that we might be healed from sin's curse. Jesus came so that my broken heart and my sin-filled heart and my darkened heart might experience the light of his love at Calvary. Jesus is much more concerned with our hearts being healed than our hands or our bodies. Now, he loves physical healing. We, that's why we prayed for it this morning. And he loves our bodies. But ultimately, what Christ is concerned about is that we are one in him. Ultimately, what Christ is concerned about is that we love him. Ultimately, what Christ is concerned about is that we are walking in obedience to the truth of the gospel. And so what Isaiah 53, as we get into this issue of healing, it's speaking to an issue of healing of the heart that has found freedom in Jesus. And then John 17, and we're not going to walk verse by verse through this, but we read it this morning. Jesus, in the hour of his death, prays for the unity of his church. Do you feel the weight of this? Do you feel the weight of our Savior praying that the divisions that we so often find ourselves in would be removed through his love at the cross? I, I loved my time when we first came here in January. I loved, I loved our interviews, but I, I loved hearing the differences of opinion on, you know, we need to have communion this much, or we need to do these kinds of things and missions, or we need to do this, and our leadership needs to be like this. Church, the first thing that we need, need to be about is pursuing the glory of Christ and his kingdom right here in Sparta. I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about leadership, and I'm passionate. Look, some of y'all are like, we need to have communion every week. And I love you and thank God for you. And I love communion too. But what we need to be focused on right now is about our hearts and what they look like in Jesus. Now, I, I hope and pray that some of those things we can talk through and we can have conversations on. But what matters most in the church is that we are living out what Jesus' greatest commandment was, wasn't it? And what is that? To love him with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our minds, and with all of our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Man, when, when, when a church does that, God moves powerfully. And here, here in this passage, not only does Jesus pray for the unity of the church, but what is the picture of unity that he's praying for? It's the same oneness that he had with the Father as he's praying this. Lord, that they would be unified as you and I are. Now, what do you think Jesus is thinking today of his church? Do you think Jesus laughs? Do you think he gets upset? Well, let me just tell you that Jesus is not surprised. He's fully sovereign, and he knows the day in which he is coming. But there's a lot of division among the church today, not, not just in different parts of the world, but there's a lot of different, different ideas on, on doctrine and all of these things. And yet, hear the prayer of Jesus, that his heart is still for unity. That his heart is to see brothers and sisters loving each other in Jesus. Hey, can I just tell you something? 
whatever mess you're walking through or whatever hurt, whatever pain you're walking through right now, whether it be here at Bear Cove Baptist Church or in your home or in your job, let me tell you something this morning. His love is more than sufficient to transform you. I know that you, you probably have some, some things that you're walking through, and I just want to let you know this morning that the prayer of Jesus has not changed. This, this prayer that Jesus prays in John 17 is it was true then, and it has been true throughout 2,000 years of church history. And so what we'll see here in John 17, the, the whole prayer for Jesus, I mean, think about the context of this moment. John 14 through 16, Jesus says that when I, it is necessary for me to leave. He tells his disciples, it's necessary for me to leave because why? You're going to do greater works in the world because of the Spirit of God that will be with you. In John 17, he's praying now, as Jesus has already promised his disciples, now he's praying towards that end that the church would walk in good works for the glory of Christ and his kingdom. And then 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. Our, our 30-somethings class are walking through 1 Corinthians, and they've, they've already been through chapter 1. But if I had to give a to give a, a, a theme verse for 1 Corinthians 1, it would be verse 18, where Paul writes, he says this, 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Do you notice here that in this moment, Paul is saying that the cross was powerful at the moment of salvation, and yet he ties the work of the cross to our sanctification. Let me share with you this morning, Bear Cove Baptist Church, that the cross has never lost its power. The cross has never lost its glory. People's lives are being transformed. Not, let, me, let me say this very carefully. Do I want you to feel good when you come in the house of God on Sunday morning? Do I want you to know God's presence? Absolutely. But what's going to transform your life is not that you're loved here and you feel good about yourself. What's going to transform your life is the cross. It's the cross. It's always been the cross. It will always be the cross. And that's why we love you. That's why we want to have an atmosphere of fellowship and love and joy. The atmosphere of prayer this morning is because Christ died for this. Christ gave his life for it. Paul in 1 Corinthians in 1 Corinthians is dealing with a church at Corinth that is divided on dozens of issues. And oh my goodness, are we going to have fun when we get to chapter 12 and 14 when we start talking about speaking in tongues. And yet Paul says, in the midst of all this, love always is the way of the church. 1 Corinthians 13 is about the church walking in love. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong for 1 Corinthians 13 to be read at a wedding. But the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is not marriage. The context of 1 Corinthians 13 is that it's the people of God that are walking in love. Love, it never fails, it never ends. And what Paul's heart is for the church of Corinth is to be walking in those very things. At Corinth, just a little history lesson. People would come in, and there were these great orators that would come in and speak and give these great speeches. And they would try to win and convince people with their arguments and their rhetoric. And people were being bought into many different ideas about God and religion and philosophy. And all of these things are being, 
being communicated at Corinth, and Paul is saying, oh, that is just garbage. All of that is nonsense and foolishness. And you know why? Because it's the message of the cross that everyone needs. It's not politics. It's not how to be more productive in life. It's not how to increase your business. It's not how to have a better outlook on your life. It's about the cross and what God has called you to in light of the gospel. So 1 Corinthians, we'll see that Paul's heart, what unifies God's people? It's the cross, the cross, the cross. It's always been the cross. And my question for us, Bear Cove, are we a people who are marked by the cross of Christ on a consistent, ongoing basis? As we're in Sunday school or as we're on Sunday night, are we a people who are marked by the cross? And let me share with you very briefly why I believe God has impressed this sermon series on my heart. I've got three reasons I want to share with you very briefly. The first reason is, and I want to say this as careful as I know how, because you're prone to hear this and go, I was offended, I was upset. He said these things. I just think there's some things that God wants to do in our hearts at Bear Cove Baptist Church. The first is we must receive his healing. And I'm not talking about physical healing to you this morning. I'm talking about the kind of healing that needs to take place here as we're seeking to reach Sparta. In my conversations with, with some of you and hearing overhearing conversations here at the church, it's very clear to me that there's a lot of pain here. It's very clear to me that there's a lot of brokenness here. And there's some healing that needs to take place here. And if there's been something that's been done to you or that was said to you that you were deeply offended and you're still upset and bitter about this morning, I just want you know, I'm so sorry. But I want to also let you know this morning that Christ is able to overcome that. I want you to know this morning that we, we, we talk about healing and we talk about freedom. But when we're healed, we, we forget the past, church. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be lighthearted. I'm not, I'm not trying to be rude this morning. I, I, I'm trying to point you to Jesus. And if we don't receive his healing we're not going to have the kind of confidence that God longs for us to have in our pursuit of him. What did Paul say in Philippians chapter 3? One thing I do, I forget the past, and I strive forward towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. When we receive his healing, no more condemnation. No, No more. And so I believe that God wants to bring some healing here to Bear Cove. As we're healed, we must also receive his prayer for unity. Here's the truth of the matter. If we're not healed, we won't experience unity here. If if our hearts and our minds are not healed, we will never experience unity here. We'll always think that our opinions are best. We'll always think that our programs are better. And we'll always think about, oh, the glory days of Bear Cove. 
I believe that God wants to do a supernatural work of unity here. And it's only going to happen as we look to the cross of Christ and as we pray and as we seek God's face. But thirdly, we must also pursue fellowship. I believe there's a sense of fellowship here that's wonderful that we all encounter on Sunday morning, but there's a sense of fellowship that we need to get to know one another. Let's be in each other's lives. Church relationships are a mess worth making. They're a mess worth making. Why? Because Jesus died for it. And here's, here's, here's hope this morning. We're all going to have disagreements. We're all going to have doctrinal things that we don't all agree on. But we can come back to the cross of Christ. And as we reach a community of lost and hurting and broken people, this is what we need, church. We need revival. But if we're going to experience revival, we must experience it first in our hearts. I want to share this more. I did not come here just to preach to you on a nice sermon on Sundays. I didn't come here to be in the office and study and read and, and just kind of hang out. God called me here to be in your life. God called me here because I believe that God wants to do a special work in this city. But he's got to do it here in us first. And I believe he's going to do that. But I also believe that God's going to do special things through Bear Cove. And I believe he is going to bring revival through us because of what he's done in us. Let's pray. This morning as we're, we're closing, I, I know that at times this is somewhat of a challenging word, but it's a word that it demands a response. And this morning, if, if you would like prayer for healing, or if you would like prayer at this altar, if you want to come and you want to kneel at this altar, this altar is open. And I want to share with you as we pray, I'm going to be the first one down here. Because I want God to do something special here at Barracuda, and I believe he's going to do it. So if you'd like to come, if you would like to kneel and pray as we sing, you feel free to come as the Lord leads. Sing with me.